Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we're continuing in our series called The Book of Acts, and um, as, as I always mention, you can go back and download any messages that you've missed. We're doing a, a literally chapter by chapter, and in most cases, verse by verse study of this incredible book that is the history of the church. And I don't feel so bad. Some of you are like, Pastor Gabe, this is, what is this, message 1,432? I was in a meeting last night with a brilliant theologian, and he said, I'm on message number like 90 or 80 something in his study of the book of Romans. So you're welcome. Okay. (laughs) I do want to do something different though. I want to begin with a a verse that is not in the book of Acts and we're going to get right to the book of Acts. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18 says this, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the power of God. It's a very profound statement. It's a very powerful statement. It's a very revealing statement. For those of us who are saved, this message, this gospel, the the message of Jesus coming, born of a virgin, dying on the cross for our sins, resurrecting from the dead and ascending to heaven as the Messiah, as the Christ, as Lord of all. For us, it is the power of God. But for many, outside of the realm of Christianity, it's foolishness. And we're gonna unpack that a little bit this morning. The title of my message is, if you're writing it down, you can, take, you can write this down. Some will cheer, some will jeer, and some will hear, some will cheer, some will jeer, and some will hear. We left off last week with Paul and Silas being set free from prison after being put in prison for obeying God. They obeyed God, they did what God wanted them to do and it landed them in trouble. And we talked a lot about that last week and I hope that message blessed you. There are going to be seasons where doing the right thing lands you in trouble. They're continuing in their missionary journey to preach the gospel and making disciples of all nations. Paul knew what his mission was. And now him and Silas are out there and they are a far far journey from home. Paul was a good old Jewish boy growing up as a Pharisee. He knew the Jewish world, but now him and Silas are smack dab in the heart of the Greek culture, the Greek world. A far cry from Paul's original world. Now, Paul was no, Paul was no ignorant man to the Greek culture. He understood it. He knew it. But we're going to see how God used him with this. Acts chapter 17, verse one. Paul and Silas then traveled through the town of Amphibolus and Apollonia, not the singer Apollonia. Some of you who are over the age of 30, you'll get that later. All right, Apollonia and then and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the Jewish synagogue and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. Now, unlike Philippi, which was the region that Paul just left, he's in this new, this new region called Thessalonica. And while he's there, he goes to the synagogue because there is one. If you remember in Philippi last week, in Philippi, there was no synagogue. So Paul went to a riverbank where he met a few ladies who were there and he preached the gospel to them. And a woman there named Lydia got born again. She got saved and then Paul was put in prison and then he led the jailer to Christ. But now that he's left that region and he's gone to Thessalonica, he does what the Bible says was his custom. He would go to the synagogue. Why was he doing that? Paul had a burden. God had called Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Anybody who was not a Jew. 
If you were not a Jewish person, you were considered a Gentile outside of the covenant God made with Abraham and Abraham's people and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, right? So if you were outside of that, you were a Gentile. And Paul's commission from God, his call was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, he did that and God used him to do that, but there was a burden that Paul had. And that burden was for the Jewish people, his brothers and his sisters. He had a heart to see his people saved, even though that was not the primary calling that God gave him. It was still something that he had deeply entrenched in his heart. He wanted to see his people set free. He wanted to see his people delivered, his people who, remember, Jesus was a Jewish man. I joke, I used to joke about this all the time. Jesus was not black. Jesus was not white from Europe. Jesus was not Asian. Sorry, David. (laughs) Jesus was a Jewish man. God brought the gospel through the Jewish people. So the gospel was to go first to the Jewish people. And then from there, to the rest of the world. But it was supposed to start there and Paul knew that, Paul understood that, even though God's call on Paul's life was to reach the Gentiles. Now, Paul could never shake this burden. Remember, the people who were most, more than likely the people who were hurting Paul the most were his own people. The people that he had a burden to help, the people he wanted to reach. How many of you have ever been there trying to genuinely help people and they're consistently turning against you? That's where Paul found himself. He wanted his Jewish brothers and sisters to know Jesus and they were the ones constantly stirring up trouble against him. He couldn't shake this desire to help them. And the Bible even tells us in Romans chapter nine, verse three, Paul gets real deep, real honest, and he says something that I don't think I could ever say. He says this, for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. That's how deeply burdened he was for the state of his people. The people that he knew God had a covenant with, yet they had turned their backs on him and had not recognized the Messiah. Paul was willing to say, I'm willing to go to hell so they can go to heaven. I'm not willing to say that. But Paul was. Back to the story, Thessalonica, he finds himself in Thessalonica, which is the capital city of Macedonia. Remember the the last week we talked about Paul having this vision of this Macedonian man telling him, come preach the gospel to us. God had blocked all of the different things he was trying to do and God ultimately sent him to this place called Macedonia. Well, Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. Now the Bible says he traveled through Apollonia and and Amphilia and he went through them. There were smaller cities. Now we start to see some of Paul's strategy Paul's strategy was to go to these larger cities knowing that if he could preach the gospel there, that the gospel would spread into the smaller communities. Can I just say something? I believe that our church, this campus and other campuses, as we continue preaching the gospel in our regions, the gospel is going to spread and we're going to plant more and more churches in smaller communities around us. That's going to happen. I believe we're gonna see a church one day in Brobridge. I do. I believe we're gonna see churches in some of these other smaller communities that some of you may drive by and never blink an eye at, but God loves those people. Some of the places we make fun of, God still loves, God still loves Potage. God loves Delcom. He's on the fence about Erath, but. I'm just joking. All right. So from Philippi, Thessalonica was about 100 miles away. So he traveled 100 miles through these smaller communities to get to Thessalonica where he began preaching the gospel. That was his strategy. How do we know that? He even talks about it in 1 Thessalonians. 
Um, I'm, I'm not going to read it to you, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, he starts telling them, you, Thessalonica, you were the first fruits of me preaching the message, the first fruits of me preaching the gospel there. And from there, what you've done, how God has worked in your life has spread out. And now everyone in Macedonia knows about what you, how you faithfully serve God. So he had a strategy preached in these larger communities and they would spread the gospel all around them. Why? Because that was God's plan. God wants to reach our communities. Now he's in this major city that is, is under the Roman empire, but it's being run in a Greek pattern, a Greek way of doing things. Now Paul traveled on this great Roman road. I want you to stop for a moment. I want you to see something. Paul traveled on this great Roman road called the Via Ignatia. Now, this great Roman road was about 700 miles long. What's amazing is that the Romans, while they were building their kingdom and trying to make their name great, the whole time God was using it to build his kingdom and make his name great. God has a way of taking the things that are going on in the world that we may even be upset about and turning them around for his glory. There will be things that happened in 2020 that we're gonna look back on and go, God, thank you so much that that happened because that ended up bringing glory to your name. And the reason why you're not clapping is you don't see it yet. That's okay, but one day you will see it because the promises of God are true. If Romans 8.28 is accurate, then that will come to pass. God works all things, not some things, not a few things. God works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God took the Romans' ability to, or desire to dominate the world and he used their very own road systems for his kingdom and sent this man named Paul and Silas on those roads preaching the gospel and winning the world to Jesus. God can use the internet. God can use social media. I'm not saying those things are good. God can use the news. We know that's not good. But God can use these things for his glory. Why? Because these things aren't necessarily inherently wrong. It's how we use them. The internet and, and social media can become the worst thing that ever happened to you, or it can be one of the greatest avenues that you use for the gospel. Right? So, let's keep going. Acts chapter 17, verse 3. While Paul is in the synagogue, he explained the prophecies. Another translation says, he reasoned with them and prove that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and, and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Now Paul, the Bible says he reasoned with them. He explained things to them. Throughout the Bible, throughout the book of Acts, you're gonna see Paul using many different avenues of preaching the gospel to people. He didn't do the same thing the same way to everybody. He even says it himself in the, in the New Testament. He says, I became all things to all men so that I might win some. He was saying, I'm willing to employ different tactics because my goal is the same. I just want people to know Jesus. I want people to be born again. So if I'm with a Greek person, I'm gonna live like the Greeks. If I'm with the Jews, I'm gonna, if I'm trying to reach the Jews, I'm gonna live like the Jews. Why? Because my life is not my own. I don't care about it anyway. I'm trying to win you. So he's doing all of these different things. Now, this is important for us to know. As we share our faith with people, we can't do it the same way. It doesn't work the same way with everybody. It's like our kids. You have to parent your kids differently. Your kids are completely different. Some of them you have to speak softly or it'll break their heart. Others you gotta grab a stick and beat the daylights out of. <laughs> Some of you were that kid too, let's be honest. Some of you were that kid. That's why God sent you one of your own. You can see what it's like now. 
We tell our kids that one day, one day, God's going to get you back. He's going to get you back. But Paul would, he would use many different tactics in reaching people. Why? Because goal was the same. Now, listen to me. He didn't compromise truth. He didn't compromise living for God to reach people. Well, pastor, I'm trying to reach people, so I'm going to get drunk with them. Are you really reaching them? But even with this approach, even though Paul was sensitive to try different things to help people hear the gospel, some heard him, some followed, and some didn't. Now, I want you to get into Paul's psyche for a moment. Paul, you're going to start to see a pattern here. Paul is starting to get tired. He's starting to get worn down. He's starting to get discouraged. This man who at one time you can throw a rock at him, beat him in the streets, and he was going to get up as soon as you thought he was dead and walk right back into the city and start preaching again, he's starting to get discouraged. We all get there. We all get to the point. There are moments and seasons in life where we are bulldozers and we can keep going. And then there are seasons of life where we just get tired. We get discouraged. Church, I want to tell you that's okay. We all do that. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not being okay. If you find yourself this Christmas season in that place where you're discouraged and you're starting to get tired and maybe you've been great for, for years and all of a sudden you're starting to wear down, can I just encourage you to find somebody? Open up about what you're going through. If you're burning out, find somebody. Tell them you're burning out. If you're hurting, open up to someone. Tell them you're hurting. Because I'll tell you how most people fall alone. Most people that fall, fall alone. Most people that give up, give up alone. And you're going to see what I'm talking about even more as I get into this, this scripture in Paul's life. So verse 5. But some of the Jews were jealous, the same people he loved, same, same people he cried for and wept for and was burdened for. They were jealous of him. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas were, they, the city council, the, they said this, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they are here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar. For they profess allegiance to another king, some guy named Jesus. The jealousy of the Jews was a constant source of trouble for Paul. They were constantly stirring up trouble. And the Bible says they went and found troublemakers. Now, how I many of you know we all know who to go to when we want to start some drama? You know them. You're picturing them in your mind right now. Don't look at them because they're in here too. We all, when we're ready, when we want to feel better about being wrong, we know who to find. When we, want to, when we want to cause trouble and heartache in other people's lives, we know who to talk to. But let me warn you about something. Be careful when you start a fire because it may get out of control. They found these troublemakers and they stirred them up against Paul. And I want you to see this. This is this is. This is gold. Please hear me as I say this. This is very important to some of you right now who are facing these types of decisions. It's one thing to suffer for doing wrong. It's one thing to suffer for doing the right thing. But it is much harder to watch other people suffer because you've done the right thing. It's one thing to say, I can deal with that because I, I, I know I'm doing the right thing. I can endure it. Paul had to watch Jason be dragged out of his home because Paul preached the gospel. I was having lunch a few years ago with a missionary on the Syrian border, and he was telling me this story, my wife and I, 
We're, we're talking to him about what it's like to be in the Muslim world and preaching the gospel. And he, he spoke with such pain in his heart as he talked about leading this man to Christ, leading this man to Jesus, and that man being killed because he was a Christian. And this man, Peter was his name. Peter had to deal with the pain and it still caused pain in his heart of doing the right thing, preaching the gospel to these people so that they could go to heaven and be saved, but having to deal in, with every day of his life. Because I preached the gospel and this man got saved, this man was killed and murdered because of the gospel that I preached to him. Can I just tell you, sometimes doing the right thing hurts you. Sometimes doing the right thing hurts other people. But it doesn't stop it from being the right thing. And I remember hearing my pastor, Pastor Jacob, say this. He says, you can't always do what's right by people. Sometimes you just got to do what's right. You can't always do what's going to be in the best interest of someone when it means that you have to do the wrong thing. You've got to do the right thing. And trust that God is big enough. How do you handle that? When you know, if I tell them, that's going to happen. If I report that, that's going to happen. If I tell them the truth, they're going to be affected by that. You can't always do the right thing by people. Sometimes you just got to do the right thing. You got to trust God. I'm not in control, you are. And my responsibility is to obey you. And if I obey you, I trust you're gonna take care of this. And sometimes, and this is gonna sound hard, sometimes people need hardship to grow up. Sometimes people need heartache to change. Certain people, they will not change until they hit rock bottom. And I know that, let me just speak to parents for a little while, because this is one, this is a heart-wrenching thing to deal with as a parent of an adult child. Sometimes you have to stop being parent. Sometimes you've got to back away and let them be a man and let them be a woman and face their own consequences. And it's when they hit that point that they're going to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. But they're not going to do that as long as they know mom and daddy got me. Can't always do what's right by people. Sometimes you just have to do what's right. We'll all be faced with making decisions that affect others. But are you making those decisions to please people or to please God? Are you making your decisions to please people or to please God? Jason's home was attacked. Jason was dragged out and he basically had to pay his own money to be released from prison. Now, they said something else in this, in this scripture. It says that they, they were accused of treason against Caesar. Again, this is in the Roman world. This is the Roman context where Caesar, the Roman Empire, basically ran the world, the known world at that time. And they had a king or a Caesar. And in that day, they would periodically ask you, or they would say, Caesar is Lord. And you would have to reply, Caesar is Lord. And everyone did that, even though they had these, all of these different types of gods, everybody would still go, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, except for the Christian. Because the Christian in good conscience couldn't say Jesus, I mean, they couldn't say Caesar is Lord because they knew they only had one Lord and his name is Jesus. And many Christians were killed because of that very thing. When they were asked, is Caesar Lord? Jesus is Lord. And at that, they lost their lives. What am I saying? For them, Christianity was much more than words. For them, serving God was much more than, is Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I don't understand what either of those mean, but I think I'm going to heaven. No, for them, it was an utter commitment to their Lord, and he was their king, and they followed him. They had one Lord, and his name was Jesus, and it cost many of them their lives. We're going to see that more and more and more as we, we continue in the book of Acts. Jesus is Lord is not just a, slow, a slogan and a cool statement. He's either Lord of all of our lives or he's not. Yeah. Acts 17, verse 8. 
the people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond and then they released them. Another translation says these men have turned the world upside down. And we've said that in churches many times, is this a good thing to turn? No, what they were saying is they're destroying our way of doing things. How many of you, that's what the gospel does. When you're, when you're preaching the gospel to people, it is, as I've mentioned many times before, exposing the darkness of the world. Some of us, before we got born again, we thought we were pretty good people. Until we start learning what Jesus wants for our lives, then we went, I'm not doing that. I've done that a whole bunch. But the gospel exposes what's right in him, what's right in God, what God's righteous standards are, and what's not in us. But here's the beauty of it. Even in our wrong, God loves us. He tenderly loves us and cares for us. But he does not leave us blind to what is right and wrong and what's sin and what's not. So let's keep going. Verse 10. Well, let me say this. Paul left Thessalonica and he went to a place called Berea. And while he's in Berea, He's preaching the gospel to these, these new people. And I'm going to talk about how they responded, and I love their response. But as he leaves Thessalonica, guess what happens? A church is birthed. After three weeks of being there, he was there for three weeks and starts a church. How many of you want to be that pastor? How long have you been saved? Three weeks. The people of Thessalonica are the people that he wrote first and second Thessalonians to. So it worked. The gospel works. The gospel has the power to change people's lives if they will hear it, if they will listen to it, if they will receive it. The gospel has the power to change your life if you will listen to it, if you will follow it. Now, verse 10. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see, listen, don't miss this, to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Now, something very important that I want you to see about the people in Berea. They heard what Paul was saying, and they went to the Bible for themselves to see if what he was saying was actually right. I encourage you to do that. Don't just take what you hear at face value. Make sure it's in the Bible. If I teach something that is not in the Bible, I am wrong. The Bible is right. When you're listening to these podcasts and these preachers and all of these people, listen to me, they're very, they're very charismatic people who are teaching stuff that has nothing to do with the Bible. And because they're a Christian, we automatically assume that they're right. It's not true. If what they're teaching cannot be backed up with the word of God, the Bible says, do not follow them, do not believe them. And I want to empower you with that because I know some of you have been brought up in denominations and religions and you've been taught what the man of God says, that's it. Yeah, that's true if what the man of God says is found in the Bible. The authority that we have comes from the word of God. It doesn't come from the fact that I just have authority. There's a, and not just Christians, there's a, we live in a time where influencers, right? That's a thing now. I can get on Instagram, get a bunch of followers, and now I'm an influencer. We live in a day and time where actors and actresses and all of these people, they can say something and for us is almost like the, the voice of a God has spoken. There's a very famous actor who basically just came out as saying that Christianity made him feel guilty. So he... Christianity is bad. 
When the truth is, it's not Christianity that made him feel bad. It's the truth that he knows is the truth that he did not obey and want to follow that made him feel bad. So let's get, back, let's get rid of the bad feelings. Truth is truth. It is either true or it is not. So please make sure as you're figuring out what your moral compass is and what your morality is and what you're going to believe, if it's not grounded in Scripture, if it's not grounded in the Bible, do not trust it. Verse 13, but when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. Paul had a lot of this in his life. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions from Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. Again, trouble followed Paul everywhere that he went. Everywhere he went, he had hardships. He was hated because he was following God's plan for his life. Won't always be peachy keen. But I want you to see that. I mentioned Paul being discouraged. Paul was separated from his closest companions in this moment. And now he's by himself in discouragement setting in. Even this great apostle needed people. If even this great apostle needed people, who are we to think that we don't? And I have people, and there's this, can I just expose this for a minute, y'all? There's times whenever we we get a little self-righteous and I just didn't want to bother you. I didn't want to tell you because I knew you had a lot going on or I know you're busy. Listen, you let people say their own no's. People are big enough, most of you anyway, are big enough to say, hey, can I call you later? Don't take that as rejection either. Maybe they legitimately have something that they're dealing with. But don't not reach out when you need help. You want to know when you need spiritual family? When you need spiritual family. When you need it. That's when it should be there for you. But you've got to reach out. And there's people, again, I've said this before, there are people who've come to church and left the church because they felt like nobody was there for them when they were going through anything. It's because you didn't have any relationships with anybody while you were here. No one knew you were going through anything because you didn't open up about it. You didn't tell anybody. We all need people. So Paul has to leave his companions and he sends for them. Listen, the Bible says at the very end, says in verse 15, um, then they return to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join them. In other words, Paul's like, nah, y'all don't stay there. I need you. Y'all come on. Paul has to leave his companions and now he's on his own and he finds himself in this amazing city called Athens. Now, if you don't know much about Greek history, Athens was in that day and time what New York and like Los Angeles is for America. Supposedly the place where the influencers are. Supposedly the place where all the great thinkers that shape the way that all of us are supposed to think, they all live in New York and in Los Angeles. Right? That's what Athens was at this time. Athens was the place where Greek philosophers, you've heard of people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, these were Greek philosophers. And they came up with these philosophies that, if we're being honest, still influence our world today. We got the idea of the democracy from them. That wasn't an American thing that we just came up with. We got that idea from them. Culture, still influenced by them. Our philosophies, our way of thinking and rationality and logic, all this stuff, it came from them. And so here's Paul in this, this place that Many people go to even to this day and ooh and ah over how beautiful it is and all of the history. I love Paul's response to this. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, the Bible says he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He was deeply troubled. Paul didn't walk in and go, oh, this is great. That's marble. This is beautiful. Paul said, 
Man, this place is jacked up. It's like, for being honest, when we go to New Orleans, I grew up in New Orleans, so I don't go to New Orleans and go, wow, I go to New Orleans, I'm like, it smells like pee. They put what in their gumbo? Right? Verse 17, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Paul was deeply troubled. Let me ask you, does sin and idolatry deeply trouble you? Does the sins that happen all around us in our culture, in our cities, in our families, does it deeply trouble us or are we so overwhelmed by it or so normalized to it that we just go, yeah, yeah, it is what it is? Not for Paul. Paul walked into the city and he didn't see the glory of the Greco-Roman world. He walked in and said, this place needs Jesus. They're full of idols. They're run by demons. They need the gospel. And he did something about it. Church, I know that the world we live in is dark. It is a dark world. And there's all kind of stuff around us all on any given day that can just overwhelm us and discourage us. And we can't fix everything, but we can do our part. Don't be overwhelmed by the darkness. Light your lighter. Be the light. Be the light that you can be. I can't change the world, but you can change yours. You can change yours. Paul was stirred to action. Not for the sin, not, listen, not for the sake of self-righteousness. Not because I'm a good Republican. Not because I'm a good Democrat. I got to keep it even. He didn't do that out of his own self-righteousness. He didn't even do that out of his own patriotism. He did that for the glory of God. And he wanted Jesus' name to be great. He wanted Jesus' name to be exalted. And he recognized Jesus paid the price for these people and they're stuck in darkness. So I'm going to do something about it. Church, we are called to do something about it. We're going to continue to to bless the poor. We're going to continue to serve the needy. We're going to continue to serve our communities. We're going to do all of that, but we are also going to continue to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ so that we can see our communities change for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom. Paul did something about it. What did he do? He preached in really three different settings. He preached to the religious world. He went to the synagogue. He preached to the religious people. Why do we have to preach the gospel in churches? Because there's just as many churches full of heathen as the mall. He preached to the religious world. He preached to the civic culture. And he preached to the political leadership. All in this, this one story, this one little narrative, he preaches to all three of these settings. Verse 18. He preaches in the synagogue. The Bible says, then he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he, was, when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say to us? And the real meaning of that word babbler is basically like a, a word picture of someone. It, it talks about a bird, but in our context, almost like a person walking around grabbing cigarette butts and smoking them. In other words, what they're saying is he picks up little tidbits of knowledge from places and acts like he's smart. He's a babbler. What is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. They thought this man, Paul, was insane. Now, the Bible makes it a point to tell us, and I, I think when the, if the Bible makes a point to tell us something, I think we should un, try to understand what it's trying to tell us. It says that he, he was debating with Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. What's an Epicurean philosopher? Many of you have heard the term Epicurean delight, right? Like cook, like chef stuff, cook stuff. They call them Epicureans. An Epicurean in that day, it was basically started by a man named Epicurus 300 years before Christ. And they believed in randomness. 
They believe life was random. They believe, listen to this, don't miss this. They believe that life was just a random collision of particles. Sound familiar? They believe there was no life after death. And they believe that life was all about the pursuit of pleasure. Whatever makes me happy, that's what I'll do. Enjoy everything. We haven't changed much. That's still the dominant view of the world today for many people. Whatever makes me happy, that's what I'm going to do. Eat whatever I can, sleep with whoever I can, drink whatever I can. Why? Because it makes me happy. Paul's debating with them. But then it says the Stoic philosophers, the the Stoics were started by a man named Zeno, and they believed everything was God. They believed basically Mother Nature, Mother Earth. Again, you getting the picture? We haven't changed much. Worship trees. It's amazing to me how we... We will worship trees and save whales and kill babies. If that offended you, I'm not sorry. As a belief system, I do want you to know this though, and I do want to be very careful with this because you're pastor. If you have done that, there is forgiveness. Okay, there's healing for that. There's grace for that. I don't want to make an off-the-cuff kind of comment that condemns. The blood of Jesus can wash you clean of anything. Okay, but that doesn't mean that we move forward and believe that because we did it, it's okay. So they believed in Mother Earth. They believed grit your teeth and endure everything. Be obedient for duty's sake. These strict, strict, strict people who worshiped everything because every God was going to judge them. We still do this today. These are the people that Paul was debating with. And they thought he was crazy. The same way that people today will think that you are crazy because you follow Jesus. Why? Because the Bible says they think the gospel is foolishness. It is foolishness to the perishing. Verse 19, then they took him to the high council of the city. They said, okay, Paul, this stuff, this is, whew, this is some far out stuff you're talking about. Come talk to our city leaders. Come and tell us about this new teaching. They said, you are saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. Verse 21, this is interesting. It should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest idea. I'm gonna say this again, not much has changed. Humans have this innate desire for what's next. What can, what's the next coolest thing? Who, what's the next trend? What's the new style? What's the new cool idea out there? Atheism was cool, so now, now that that's not cool, I'm gonna believe that this rock is God, because that's cool. This celebrity said this, so now I'm gonna believe that, because that's cool. It's desire in us. Now, I love innovation. And I believe that you are, ju- you are being just like your God whenever you're creating something. Why? Because he's the great creator. He created it all. There's a creative element in who God is. And when you're expressing your creativity to God, put in, you're, you're reflecting God's character and God's nature. So I believe in creativity. But what I don't believe is stuffing away truth to create something that's false. And bouncing from thing to thing to thing in every wave of doctrine, demon doctrines, the Bible even called them, to believe something that allows us to feel better about ourselves for living in our sin. God's not for that. God is against that. Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. Notice he didn't say you're holy and saved. He said you're very religious. For as I was walking along, I saw many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. See, Paul was smart. Paul says, you have a desire to worship something. And I'm here to tell you 
who you should be worshiping. The world is looking for somebody that's confident in what they believe. They want to know because they've, they've seen people worship this and then worship that and then worship that. And I'm not saying that in their hearts they're really seeking after God. What I am saying is that they see all of the false things out there. And someone needs to be able to stand up and say, hey, I have the answer and it's Jesus. And I'm confident in that. I have the answer. And his name is Jesus. Paul says, I know who you should be worshiping. Now, in Athens, history tells us there was about 30,000 statues of gods in Athens. 30,000. They, 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 they had gods everywhere. They worshiped all kinds of things. And Paul was smart enough to say, I saw a few statues that said to an unknown God. Now, why would it even say that? Because they were so afraid that they would have not mentioned a God and offend that God because they believe that God is what brought these hurricanes or storms or earthquakes or whatever to them. So they just, just to cover their basis to the God we don't know because we won't make him mad. Paul says, the God that you don't know is the God of all creation who really is in control. That's the God that you need to know. And that's who I'm telling you about I know the one true and living God. Verse 24, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Can I just tell you that again? God doesn't dwell in this building because this building is quote unquote a church. God dwells in us, the people. He dwells in us, the people of God. We are the church. This building could burn down and we would have church somewhere else. And guess what? God would be there. In human hands, verse 25, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands, cannot serve his needs. Don't miss this, for he has no needs. Pastor, God needs me. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need you. God is self-sufficient. He uses you. He loves you. He wants you, but he does not need you. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Another translation says, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. It's like we sang about earlier. For him, right, from for him are all things, and to him are all things. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. In other words, Paul is saying, guess what? We really did all come from Adam and Eve. Pastor, you believe that? Yeah, I do, because the Bible says it. Well, science says this and that and that and that. Yeah, they said something different 400 years ago. They're going to say something different 400 years from now. I believe what the Bible said. Paul corrects this notion that we, that we can create our gods. And he also corrects this idea. He tells them, you're religious, but he tells them you're wrong. Well, Pastor, shouldn't God be happy that they were trying to seek him and they were trying to do the right thing? No, because they, were they weren't doing it right. That's like, wives, can I just mess with you for a moment? When you ask your husband to go to the store and he willingly goes to the store and comes back with all the wrong stuff you told him not to bring, are you happy? Man, we're always like, babe, but I went. I didn't tell you to buy a 400 pack of water. I told you we needed toilet paper. Maybe that's just my family, okay. I'm getting close to ending. I want you to see something. When it comes to God, yes, God does see our heart. God sees our effort, but God wants us to serve him his way. We don't get brownie points for trying to serve him our way. We have to submit to him and serve him his way. There's a statement I remember, I've even preached it many times before, but I heard a pastor in Atlanta say this. He said, your direction, not your intention determines your destination. That means if I, I can get in my car and have tickets to Disney World and tell my kids we're going and us get in our car and drive north towards Canada, 
Just because we intended to go to Disney World doesn't mean that's where we're going to go. Because we weren't going in the right direction. Some of you need to change the course of your direction, not your heart. I, I meant well, yeah, but you did the wrong thing. Change your direction so you can do the right thing. Verse 30, God overlooked, Paul's still preaching to them, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things earlier, in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Paul is telling them very, very lovingly, very gently, not condemning them. But he's telling them, you are required to repent. Because it's what Jesus wants. And God proved that by raising Jesus from the dead. He's telling them, your responsibility is to turn and repent. To follow him. Our responsibility is to turn and to repent and to follow him. What does repent mean? Is it this mean word that preachers say to get you to feel bad? No. The word repentance basically means to turn. Change your heart. Change your perspective. Turn and go in the opposite direction. That's what it means. You're asking, you're acknowledging your sin and you're making the adjustments to change it. Once he mentions raising from the dead, he loses them though. Verse 32, and I'm almost done. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this, but we want to hear about it later. Come back and we'll, good job, Paul, but I'm not ready to, to change or anything. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Demarius and others with them. Why did I tell you all of that? Because some will cheer. That was a good word. That was a good message, Pastor. Good job today. You were funny. Others will jeer. Who do they think they are to tell me that about that God stuff? I grew up in church. I don't want to hear that God stuff. That's not for me. That's stupid. But others will hear. Our responsibility is to share. Our responsibility is to plant the seed. For my former farmers in the house, we plant the seed. You plant the seed. We have no idea how the crop is going to yield, but our responsibility is to plant the seed. Paul was faithful to plant the seed. Church, we are called. Pastor, you keep speaking to us like we're these super Christians. You don't have to be a super Christian. You just have to be a Christian. You are called to preach this gospel. You're called to share this message with your world, the people around you. Keep sharing. Some of them are going to laugh at you. Some of them are going to go, man, that's really good, and never follow you. But some are going to hear. And their lives are going to be changed by the words of the gospel that you preach and the gospel that you live. Keep sharing it. Keep speaking it. Keep going. Pastor, I'm discouraged. Keep fighting. Pastor, I want to give up on this whole God thing because while I'm trying to share this with other people, my life's falling apart. Keep going. Keep fighting. Surround yourself with the people that are going to hold you up when you're weak. Keep going. Some people, it may not look like Paul was successful, right? But there's two people who got born again. And I want to tell you how, what history tells us about this man who sat on the council in Athens named Dionysius. The Bi well, not the Bible, I'm sorry. History tells us that this man Dionysius became the bishop of Athens. This one man became a bishop who oversaw the church in Athens. Paul didn't have a standing ovation they didn't love him, but he preached the gospel faithfully. And because of that, many people were born again and the church was birthed. Keep going. You be faithful to plant the seed. Verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He didn't quit. And when he went to Corinth, one of the greatest churches he ever started, 
the church that the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians is written to, was started because he kept going. And I'm going to end where I started, 1st Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He writes this to the people of Corinth in the very beginning. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Let me pray for you. Father, you've given us as the church of Jesus Christ a a commission to go into all of the world and to make disciples. That's not just for people with pastor in front of their name. That's not just for people who've been in the church for 20 years. You've given us as Christians, as disciples, those who follow you have that call. I pray we would take that seriously. And for those, God, who are fearful and nervous to share this because they may be made fun of or they may be mocked or people may think they're weird at the Christmas dinner for being a Christian and wanting to pray over their food or whatever it may be, God, I pray, give us boldness. Give us boldness to know that on the the other side of our obedience could be countless blessings and countless lives changed. Give us the courage to do the right thing even when it negatively affects people. Even when it hurts. Even when other people are affected by us doing the right thing. Give us the wisdom to do it and to do it the right way. Not spitefully, not mean, but with love in our hearts. Like Paul, broken for the very people who turned against him. God, for those of us in this place whose that our hearts have been hardened. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're here, if you say, Pastor, my own family has turned against me. It's been people I've loved and they've turned on me. And your heart's heavy, your heart's burdened. When nobody's looking around, I want to pray for you. If you say, that's me, for doing the right thing, you've had people who you dearly love turn on you. I want you to lift up your hand right now. I want to acknowledge you. Come on. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. Come on. Hands all over it. Put it down. Lord, for them, give them the grace. I pray that they would receive their confirmation, their affirmation from heaven, even when it's not coming from men. Put a steel rod in their back to stand. You said in the word of God, when you've done all that you can to stand, stand. Help them to stand. Give us boldness and courage. And I pray that out of even this church, we would see other churches planted all around our region. We'd see other communities and cities reached, God. And that this would be a place that births discipleship and makes disciples of Acadiana. We thank you for that. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm talking a lot about spreading the gospel, but some of you may say, I've never responded to it. I've never made the decision to be born again. I've never yielded to the Holy Spirit's calling. If you're here today, I want to give you the opportunity to be born again. To be born again. To be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sin. Saved from hell. Saved from the judgment of God. Saved from your own mess. God loves you. And he wants to save you. Jesus once told a religious man, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're first born again. Pastor, how do I do that? It's relatively simple because Jesus did all the complicated part. A, you admit, admit what? That you're a sinner. You just acknowledge where you're at. My life is not the way God wants it to be. I'm in sin. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for that, for that sin, for those sins in your life. It's not a storybook. It's not a fantasy. It really happened. And see, you confess that he is now Lord, you, that you're turning, you're repenting, and you're making him Lord of your life, and you're going to follow him. But no one looking around. I want to acknowledge you. That's you. Nobody looking around on the count of three. I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and all of us are going to pray it out loud together. It's our prayer of surrender. One, 
two, three. If that's you, just lift up your hand, slip up your hand and say, that's me, thank you. I see your hand, anyone else? Say, this is me, Pastor, I wanna be born again today. Praise God. Thank you, ma'am, I see your hand back there. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer with those who are being saved. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross, you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. So I repent of my sin, turn away from it to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer.